Welcome to the Wordology Podcast, making a difference and always keeping it real. Here with Michael Wilson and Ursula Singleton. We have been living with the COVID-19 pandemic for the past year, but there is another pandemic that America has been living with for the past 400 years. It is a pandemic of institutional racism. The CDC has classified institutional racism and racial inequality as a severe health threat. Systemic racism is dividing the country. Both interpersonal and structural racism negatively affect the physical and mental health of people. Three racially charged incidents are deeply impacting the health and welfare of this country. First, there is the ongoing trial of Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer involved in the killing of George Floyd. Second is the killing of Dante Wright, who was stopped for an air freshener obstructing his his forward view by former police officer Kim Potter. She mistakenly confused her taser with her service weapon and fatally shot him. Then there is Lieutenant Nazario, who was pulled over while in uniform and was pepper sprayed by police officers in Windsor, Virginia. Why has racism become such a systemic problem in this country? Today, we're going to delve into this topic and have the conversation because it is a conversation that is long overdue. But what is race? Race is a social construct designed to classify separate people based on an arbitrary value that has no physical meaning or significance. It is a value used to determine the superiority or inferiority of a human being. In the case of race, that value is the color of one's skin. Thus, the CDC defines racism as a system consisting of structures, policies, practices, and norms that assigns value and determines opportunity based on the way people look or the color of their skin. This results in conditions that unfairly advantage some and disadvantage others throughout society. Biologically, we are all the same. Systemic racism has been a problem in the United States since the first enslaved people were brought ashore in Virginia in 1619. 400 years later, we are still seeing and living through the effects of systemic racism. What are some of these effects? Income inequalities, socioeconomic inequalities, and educational disparities, just for starters. Some of the more serious effects are the passing of laws or the adoption of policies that get people of color oppressed. We have seen this throughout history with the Three-Fifths Compromise in the era of Jim Crow. In recent days, we are seeing the passing of voter suppression laws that disproportionately affect people of color, such as Georgia's new voting rights law. It is hard to discuss race without discussing cultural conditioning. In America, we are culturally conditioned that white is superior, black is inferior, and the manifestation of this conditioning leaves blacks undervalued, underestimated, and marginalized. We associate white with being pure, clean, and without imperfections, while we associate black 
with being dirty, evil, and tainted. Racism is a learned behavior. It has been passed down for generations throughout stereotypes and horrific incidents. While many view this as uncomfortable and controversial, America was founded on the principles of institutional racism. The Constitution says that all men are created equal. Unfortunately, it took a civil war and the passing of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments before this basic tenet became reality. Today, the struggle for racial equality continues. This week, we saw the conclusion of the Derek Chauvin trial. The jury deliberated for about 12 hours and returned the verdict of guilty on all three counts. The three counts were second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. While this verdict was a triumphant verdict, will it really change things? This was a pivotal, this was a pivotal case, and going forward, we will see what happens. Could this be the change of policing as we know it? Could this now open a dialogue for police reform? Again, we'll see what happens going forward. We got the verdict on the Chauvin trial. He was found guilty in all three counts. Secondary man, second degree manslaughter, rather no, second degree murder, first rather third degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. So that's that's a good thing, but that's just the beginning. Yeah. I mean, at this point, this is not necessarily about justice. It was more about responsibility and accountability. We yeah. still have the sentencing to go, which won't happen for about another two months. It, it was a huge relief to me that verdict, I mean, you can't bring him back. That would be the only form of justice, but it's a step in the right direction. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, maybe. I, I know that certain forces such as Fox News were kind of disappointed in the verdict. They were hoping for a different response, in which case there would be riots, and then they could blame Biden for them. So i definitely think that we were very fortunate to 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 not have that scenario well that's what everybody was preparing for for them to be for it to be a not guilty verdict and for people to go crazy on the streets and destroy property and burn everything down that's really what the right wanted to see exactly exactly um, I definitely think that there, I hope that there's going to be change. I hope that more policemen will be held accountable. That one 17 um, year old girl that filmed the whole thing on her cell phone. I, I think that things, she's like a miracle worker. Maybe we'll have more of that. Maybe more people will stop when they see a, an officer with um, a black person and just start recording and just stay there to make sure that everything's going to be all right. I think we need to see more of that. And we probably will. I mean, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for her, Derek Chauvin might have might be a free man right now. Yeah. He may have gotten away with murder, literally. 
So sad. I mean, so much for all the, the police cameras and all the money we spent on that and, and so much for checks and balances from his coworkers, the other, the other policemen on the team. Well, there's been this blue wall of silence for decades. Cops really do not like to squeal on each other. That's always been an issue. So they keep silent. And then internal affairs comes and investigate. And that to me is like the fox uh, watching over the hen house, you know? Yeah. But hopefully this will open up real conversation. I mean, we really have to look, we really have to start having these conversations about race. One of the big things we have to really accept is that there really is no such thing as race. Race is a social construct. Basically, a system designed to classify human beings as, as one set of a superior class and one set of inferior class. It's simply a way to differentiate between human beings. That's very sad. It, it comes down to some people have to just be better or feel better about themselves and others, or some people have to make money off of other people. There's the economics behind it, and then there's the, the psychology behind it. It's, it's just all so sad. Well, we've been living with this for 400 years. I mean, the Constitution says that all men are created equal, but we didn't really get to that point until several amendments were passed and we had a civil war. And we're still not quite there yet. We still are dealing with uh, laws that uh, restrict voter suppression, rather that that, uh, prevent people from really going out and voting or require voter ID, which is not something that everybody can get. Definitely, definitely. And I, ha- I think I, I have a lot of white friends that, not all of them, but I have some white friends that are, are relatively blind or disacknowledge the complete situation. And they think, okay, racism's over. We had a black president. Everything's fair. They should have, there's no injustice anymore. And I think that's a huge problem. I mean, white privilege is, is a thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a thing, but I almost hate having to use that term white privilege. It's, it's just a term that never really struck me right. Same thing with reverse racism. I mean, there's racism, period. And I mean, there there is privilege to the to the point where you know um, some people do feel that they're above other people. Well, people maybe there's there's some some better terminology that we can come up with. I think maybe just I, I haven't put a lot of thought into that. Maybe better terms is just. Um, white denial, white aloofness, just the failure to acknowledge reality about other people's situation. We can come up with a better term for that. 
uh, like I've said before, and I'll say it again, the liberals and Democrats have always, always had um, problems with their marketing and their branding. And uh, you bring it to my attention with that, you know, white privilege as well. And, and I've never thought about it. And I'm going to have to agree with you. When they said defund well, the police, I knew it was going to cost us. Um, I've, I've agreed on demilitarize the police. I've accepted that terminology is, is what we need to call that. But I digress. We should come up with a, a better term for white obliviousness. Well, the best kind of way to look at it is kind of what uh, Martin Luther King said. Two most dangerous things on the planet are sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. I kind of call white privilege kind of falls on both of those because there are a lot of things that people are truly ignorant about when it comes to race. And then there are a lot of things where people are just plain stupid and believe all the stereotypes that are out there. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's a subtle piece. It's been subtle. The racism... I've seen in my life has been relatively subtle. I have not seen a police officer keep his foot on a person's neck for nine minutes. <laughs> I haven't seen any burning crosses. I haven't seen things like that, but there is more subtle racism in everyday um, white people's lives. I, I, think, I think I first saw it when I was a kid and my dad had to explain to me that my uncle Carno couldn't join the Annapolis Yacht Club. I didn't understand. I was I was real young. I was maybe like eight or nine or something like that. And and we had to have the Uncle Carno was black conversation. So. Yeah, I mean it's a shame you got to have that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I mean things like that. And I I come from and elitist high school and I admit I was kind of reclusive and I didn't really know much of what was going on but we had um recently it came out in the open it's been published that my high school was having some some racism problems like people would there would be incidents of someone having stuff stolen and a, a black students were brought into the office do you know anything about this before anyone else and it's like why are you bringing me into the office I didn't know about this until you know a year last year may ago and I was surprised I thought they would handle it better like when we had every book stolen out of the library for a senior week prank they brought every single senior into the hall and we had a discussion you know the books are gone. We're going to stay here until someone admits <laughs> that they did it. <laughs> That's how you handle that. You bring everyone in and you say, who did it? You don't single out certain people for obvious reasons. We need to have, you know, teacher training on that because that's the only way to really handle that. Well, it's like I said in one of your posts. That's why there were certain cars I would not look at and buy, even though I could afford them. I I didn't want to, I liked the BMW, I liked the Mercedes, but I knew I was asking for trouble if I bought one of those and was driving in the wrong area. I'd get pulled over, I'd get pulled over and the cop would ask me, is this your car? That happened to you in your MDX. Was it MDX? 
my RDX. RDX, your RDX. That is unreal. I, I yes, that just blows my mind. What what neighborhood was that? I was I was cruising through there was actually two incidents. There's one I was in I was cruising through DC and there was another one. This is before I even had I went to a party over in Potomac, me and two friends. I left, we left the party about two o'clock in the morning. I was coming back. I was on Montrose Road. Stopped that stop sign, looked around both ways, saw no traffic, went ahead. Next thing you know, this cop pulls me over and tells me that I ran through the stop sign. And I said, I did not run through the stop sign. And he looked in the car. It was me, my black friend, and a white female. I'm leaving their names out to protect the innocent here. But uh, he looked in the car and saw us. And then he ended up just giving me a warning ticket. And then after I pulled off, I said to them, you know why I was stopped? And they're like, yeah, I know why you were stopped. Like what's what's two black guys and a white girl driving a hoopty doing in in Potomac at two two o'clock at night? So, yeah, that stuff goes on. Wow, wow! You know we've got all these traffic cameras that give you a ticket when you run a stop sign or when you run a light, maybe that's how the police should operate on traffic stops from here on out. You're speeding in the school zone, they will catch it. (laughs) That is probably how it should be done. Just police patrolling general neighborhoods, looking for traffic incidents. I don't think that's a good idea. Well, what the police really need to do is they need to really get to know their neighborhood, know the community. Actually go out and meet the people in their community and let them know that we're protecting you. You don't need to be afraid of us. We're protecting you. We have your back. That's what really needs to happen. There needs to be more community policing. Not all cops are bad, but the problem is the ones that are bad make the entire department look bad. So now you have the news media focusing on all these bad cops, people, people being shot by cops. I mean, the one that's really conflicting me right now is the, uh, the case that happened in uh, Columbus, Ohio. The 16-year-old that was shot wielding a knife at a party. The cops rolled up on her, shot her, shot her in cold blood. She was trying to stab someone, though, wasn't she? Yeah, that's why I'm torn up with that one. Because, yeah, it was in self-defense. She was trying to stab someone, but other people are looking at it well as, well, he shouldn't have shot first. He should have tried to de-escalate the situation. And unfortunately, in that case, when somebody's wielding a knife, he only got split seconds to react. And cops are trained to shoot center mass. 
they are trained to shoot to kill. Thus, they had to shoot her to thwart, to stop the threat. And if that means that they took her life, they took her life. Am I condoning it? No. But I understand, I'm understanding it. This is what happens. This is a system, this is an area of self-defense. If he, if he had not a shot her, there might be two people dead. She might have been able to successfully stab the girl in the pink. Yeah, I. It's it's a t- it's a hard situation. That one's not as um, cut and dry as as some others that we've seen. But still, he could have shot her in the leg or arm or something, right? Or who knows? Just fired a warning shot. I, I don't have answers. Well, generally, they don't do that. They're always trained to shoot to kill in those situations. Wow. Yeah, that's that's how cops are trained. Yeah, I guess if someone's armed and you just hit someone in the arm and yeah, if it's a matter of self-defense, you want to eliminate them. You don't want to shoot at the leg and have them be able to still get a shot off at you and attack you. You want to be able to have them fully immobilized, and unfortunately. A taser would not have worked in this situation. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's just, it's just kind of scary out there. And we just have to find a way to do better. We have just begun to scratch the surface on the discussion of racism. It's time for us to be instruments of change and stamp out racial intolerance. Let's work together to truly create a world where all are equal. Well, that wraps it up for this week's episode of the Wordology Podcast. Now, go out there and make a difference and always keep it real.